Who were those who stood by? Now sometimes we think about those who stood by. Are these people that are waiting to be judged? Are these people who were given some... Or, I mean, who are these people that, are, that stood by? It seems that there are some people that are standing by that take care of some business in regards to those that he's dealing with. And he just kind of throws it out there. And those who stood by. He said to those who stood by. So he gave instructions to these who stood by. And he said, take the miner from him and give it to him who has ten miners. But they said to him, who did? The people who stood by. But they said to him, Master, he has ten miners. For I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. But bring here those enemies of mine who do not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Who is bringing those enemies to him? And then who is slaying them? <laughs> is it the same people who were standing by? Or is this a different thing? Because the, the, the slaying of them is after all it is done with those judging those who were given the minus. So is it those who were given reign over the cities that now come in and judge those that, um, that were um, enemies? doesn't really give a whole lot of detail to that, but can you see this parable has some uh, interesting aspects to it. Who are those who stand by? So keep that in mind. We're going to get back into that here in a little bit. Don't let me forget. But here, let's take a look at our purpose here. Our purpose for looking at this is when are the rebellious people going to be judged? And it seems the rebellious people are allowed to continue to go on until he comes back. Revelations 19, verse 11 now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the, of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather to you together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of burning fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Now back over to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13. He said, sit here until what? Pull back up on our screen. Sit at my right hand till what? I make your enemies your footstool. Now, in this particular rendition in Revelation, 
who is wiping out the enemies? Jesus. Who says here, I will make your enemies your footstool? That's God the Father. So if God the Father is saying, I will make your enemies your footstool, why is Jesus out there killing them? And when we get to the end of the other parable and the enemies are brought up and he says, slay them. Who says slay them? Jesus. Who slays them? <laughs> whoever it is that's standing by or whoever, or somebody else who, who comes in on that. So we know the Bible is consistent with all this. So Jesus, or God the Father says, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. When we read that, how many of us think that I make your enemies your footstool, that God is going to go out there and do it? But is it not also possible for God to do it by having his son do something? (laughs) Because God is the creator of the earth, but who created all things? Jesus did. All things were created by him. But But God is considered the all in all. So you see, there's an inner working between the Trinity that they, we see them a lot as separate, but you have to remember also that they are one. So when we see things like that come in and just understand there's some things that go on with the Trinity that our uh, very small minds cannot quite grab hold of. <laughs> Can't quite understand all that. But just, uh, just know God is going to make the enemies the footstool, but here when he comes, apparently the sword that comes out of his mouth is just slaying some people. And we know the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament could... Um, he could put some people down. So here, let's go on to the next question. When will Satan be his footstool? Now, our purpose for doing this is, is this. A lot of times, especially amongst charismatic Christians, we like to go around and say, you know, that um, the enemies of God are defeated. But are they? He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, which would indicate that they're not quite done yet. Not there yet. So he was to come down here on the earth, died on the cross. When he came up to heaven, he said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Apparently, him rising from the dead did not make all enemies his footstool. So if we go on thinking that all enemies are defeated and act like that, and they're not, can you see there could be a potential problem? So when will Satan be his footstool? Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who was the devil, and Satan. Any question as to who this is? (laughs) Call him by all these names here. And bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Notice he must be. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. 
but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the prophet, false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And we'll pick up here in just a, just a second just to recap this. What you're going to see is at the beginning of the millennial reign when Christ comes and he, he takes some of those enemies and speaks about how he dealt with them. But those that were in Hades, those who are in hell, stay there. And they do not, as the Word of God calls it, they do not become alive again until the thousand years is finished. So we're not judging them. They're still staying right where they were. They can't get out. They can't mess with anything. They can't do nothing. They no longer have a place on the earth. They're dead. So they, they kind of stay there. But Satan, he is take, taken and he is put into the bottomless pit and bound up so that he cannot get out for 1,000 years. For 1,000 years that will happen. There are two, we're not going to get into the scripture of this, but some of you may remember this, Antichrist and the false prophet are put into the lake of fire before anyone else is and they have the place to themselves for 1,000 years. I don't know that they would want the place to themselves for a thousand years, but they have the place to themselves for a thousand years. They're the only two that are in there. So if you want to say that some people have a special place in hell, certainly we know those two do because they, they're all by themselves in this, this spot for a thousand years. That's where they go. After the thousand years, Satan, who was uh, neutralized, but not yet defeated, in the sense that he was, he's not, not a footstool just yet. So he is, um, he's still around. And he is released. I don't know, much conversation goes on, you know, who can fall and who's going to go. And could maybe I uh, fall into that deception or, and so forth. Well, you all have studied this stuff out. You all know this thing is coming. As soon as the millennial starts, you know in a thousand years, we're all going to be put to the test. Whether it is possible for all of us to fall or just a few of us, it doesn't matter. I'm not falling. I know it's coming. I know he's going to be released. It says that he must because what has to happen is that all rebellion must be removed. So whoever is on the face of this earth, if they can live under perfect harmony, a perfect kingdom, nothing is wrong. Everything is taken care of. Everybody can be happy. Law and order is maintained for one thousand years and at the end of that if someone can sow in their heart we can do something better all you have to do is rebel against Jesus and they want to do it we don't even give them a chance we just want to know that they want to do it they're going to gather around Jerusalem to do it and burn up that's it just just over now I don't know if they won't have access to the Bible I don't know if people just don't teach this stuff during the millennial reign. How do they, do they not know that this would be going on? But apparently, that can happen. But the idea is not to see, let's see who we can get. The idea is if there is anyone left who can rebel, 
we want them removed because we are going to make a new heaven and a new earth and we do not want anything coming in to set it in a wrong direction as the first Adam and the first Eve did. We're going to make sure that this one continues on. So all rebellion is going to be obliterated. But it is important that Satan be released because if there is anyone, and there are obviously some, or he wouldn't say that they all gathered around Jerusalem and we burn them up. There are some. And we're going to find out who they are. They are going to expose themselves. Jesus is not going to say, I think you're a rebel. And just judge it. He's going to let you do it yourself. He's going to put, the devil's going to be out there, and you're going to expose yourself as having jumped on his side. Not speaking to you guys, but whoever it is that does it. It'll be very evident that they made their own decision. And um, they will they will come into this. So after that, we go on to verse 11. Well, verse 10 again. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So as much as you think about the devil tormenting you, he is going to be tormented himself forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So their works are not judged in that. Let's see if their works are any good and we can have them go on. Their works are judged in let's see what you did. You're going to hell or not, you're going into the lake of fire. That's all there is to it. Now let's see how bad it's going to be for you. Because <laughs> why else are you judging by their works? So if their works were excessively evil, then apparently their punishment is excessive compared to everyone else's. Otherwise, why are you taking the time to judge all the works? You just say, well, if you all get the same punishment, here you all go. And just put them all in there. But he's going to take the time, judge each one according to their works, open up the, the book, read some things, what they've done. I say, you are a newscaster. I say, you went into the homes of my children, spread lies. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that they've done, they will be, they will be paying for it. Now look at Matthew 25, verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. They're going into everlasting fire. The place was prepared for the devil and his angels. Now notice this was missing when we saw that the devil was thrown into the lake of fire. When we saw that the devil was put into bondage for a thousand years, what happened to the fallen angels? It doesn't mention them. It doesn't say that they went into bondage for a thousand years. It doesn't say they went into the lake of fire. It would seem that they went wherever the devil went. My guess is that they went into the thousand years as, uh, uh, as prisoners the same way that Satan was. And then when he was released, they were released as well. And that all of them were on the face of the earth to try and deceive. Because the devil can't be everywhere all, all the time. It can only be one place. So it would seem that the rest of his team is uh, brought out as well. Because the purpose is to find out who wants to rebel. That's the purpose of it. And whoever wants to rebel, we're going to remove them. 
and take them out because we don't want anything coming in on the new heaven and new earth and messing it up. Revelation 12, verse 7, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Right now, there's a place in heaven for them. But that's coming to an end. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now see there, the punishment he got, they also went along the same way. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. So, the devil who, was, who deceived people, he is cast into the lake of fire. It would seem also that his angels were cast into the lake of fire at the same time. Uh, demon spirits, when are they made his footstool? I would imagine the same time that the fallen angels and the devil is. But I can't say for sure because the Bible doesn't say that all demon spirits were judged at a certain time. It would seem that the devil and his team would come into judgment as, as, uh, uh, together. That's my guess on this. Now, how about the earth? Do you realize that the earth has acted as an enemy of God at times? Have not uh, some animals killed some servants of God? Haven't storms come and taken some people from the kingdom of God out? We saw that the earth groans about to, you know, it's under sin too, and it's groaning for that time when it will be, be relieved of this um, bondage that's, that sin has put upon it. Now, how many of you all heard that the storm that just went through Florida, and I don't want to minimize this at all, I know it was a terrible storm that went through Florida. Uh, Hurricane Irma was the last one that we, we had. I heard, I didn't hear this by listening to him, but, you know, people who I know who mocked them like I do, uh, had, had talked about this, had uh, talked about Irma as being the strongest storm ever. How many have heard any reports? Irma was the strongest storm ever. It is not. It is not even the strongest storm to hit Florida. On a list, I believe it's somewhere between 7 and 10 of the ones just that hit Florida, not the ones that stayed out in the, in the water. Of the ones that hit Florida, it's somewhere around that neck of the woods. It was a it was a powerful storm. Of course, it weakened by the time it got to Florida. But at its most powerful state, the most powerful spot that it was, it still was not the most powerful storm on record. Now, hurricanes are what goes on, what we call those storms that come over here on the, the Atlantic Ocean side. And cyclones, I guess, are the ones that come on the Pacific side. I guess that's how they make the difference because they do all seem to be above the equator. Um, I, I'm, I'm told uh, because of the rotation the, the rotation, I think, on some storms is different. But the rotation is where they are in relation to the equator and uh, things like that. I don't know. I've, I've heard this. I have not been south of the equator to know this. But I hear, you know, when you flush a toilet up in this area, then it all spins around. Well, if you go down below the equator, you flush a toilet, it goes the other way. The other way. <laughs> That's what I hear. And I think some storms do that as, that as well. But some of the ones that have gone over into the Pacific side, that have hit the Philippines, that have hit Japan, Make Irma look like nothing. I mean, huge. They're, they are, for some reason, on that side, a whole lot bigger and a whole lot fiercer than what we get on this side. I heard people trying to call Irma, Irma a Hurricane 6. I heard somebody quote that, and I laughed at them. I said, there is no Hurricane Class 6. 5 is it. 
And five is this speed and up. <laughs> but they wanted to throw that out as well. So, um, and I have a reason for doing this, but I'm going to give you the, the top. I ha- it's actually, I copied over as the top 10 Florida hurricanes. I made it to top 11 because this was done in 2016 and we had one that occurred uh, that was a top 10 after that. So you'll, you'll hear that on the list. But the number one, the top, and this is, of course, just when we've been keeping track of it. We don't go back that far in Florida. Far, Florida, for the longest time, was considered inhabitable. You couldn't live there until we were able to move earth around and change some of those swamps and deal with the mosquitoes and deal with all the stuff that was down there. No one wanted to live in Florida. I heard one president who went down there and he said, I would take one square mile of, of uh, Michigan, I think is what he said, for all the land in Florida. I think that's what they hit. If, if I remember right, I think it was President Taft. If I remember right. I'd, I'd be off a little bit on that one. But anyway, one of those presidents did that because Florida was basically uninhabitable. It's not a place that you wanted to live. We're not talking about the gators and all that other stuff. We're just talking about swamps and marshes and it just wasn't a good place. But in 1935... We have what is known as the Labor Day Hurricane. Now, they weren't naming storms for a long, long time, so we don't have names for them. 1935, the number one hurricane recorded that hit Florida was on Labor Day in 1935, 892 millibars. The lower the number, supposedly the more powerful the storm. Number two, Hurricane Andrew. How many remember Hurricane Andrew? 1992. 922 millibars. 922, that's quite a jump up from 892. That's about 30 points. We don't see too many times that 30 points will separate these, but there you do. Hurricane Andrew, 1992. The Florida Keys hurricane of 1919 is in at number three at 927 millibars. Now, again, some of these are really old. I don't know that they really had any way to measure wind speed. But they did have a way to take the barometric, barometric pressure. The hurricane of 1928, Lake Okeechobee, Okeechobee, 929 millibars. Uh, for number five was a tie between Hurricane Donna, 1960, as the year before I was born, 930 millibars. That's tie for the Great Miami Hurricane of 1926. Same 930 millibars. Then, in 2016, this is where the extra one came in while we have a list of 11 instead of 10. Because Hurricane Matthew, though it did not make landfall, it skirted right along the coast and did a whole mess of damage to the place, but did not quite come ashore. So I put a little asterisk next to that. But that was in 2016. That is 934 millibars. 934 millibars produced a miles per hour of 165 miles per hour. Top sustained winds. The next one, 1948, the September hurricane. 940 millibars. 2004. You'll remember this one. Hurricane Charlie. 941 millibars. 1995. At number 10, Hurricane Opal, 942. And the final one, number 11 in this list, the Fort Lauderdale Hurricane of 1888, 900 
and 43 millibars. Now, out of all that, where did Hurricane Irma come in at? And this was a little tougher to find. I think it's not quite all published just yet, but I was able to get some information on Hurricane Irma. At its peak in the Caribbean, not on landfall, at its peak in the Caribbean, it was 185 miles per hour, 914 millibars. At its peak, 914 millibars. That would have not topped the top hurricane, just the top hurricane that landed in Florida. We're not talking about the top hurricane ever. Just the top one that landed in Florida was 892. But most hurricanes, when they're out on the warm water, are more powerful and they usually become less and less as they get closer to land because the water tends to not be as warm as it was out in the middle of the Caribbean. It weakened by the time it hit Florida to a Cat 4. The first landfall on Florida was a Category 4. I heard the mayor of Florida, I heard his words, I heard him say this. He's <laughs> the ignorance of some people. He says, I don't know of anyone alive who has, in Florida, who has been through a Category 4 or 5 hurricane. Anybody hear him say that? I heard him speak it. I heard him say those words. It's, are you kidding me? <laughs> That's what he said. So maybe he just doesn't know that many people. <laughs> but, her, but Florida has been hit by hurricanes 4 and 5 before. Now, here's the thing they, they aren't telling you. As soon as they get a big one like this, they want to build this thing up like this is all global warming, this is all global climate change, this is all the things that are doing it, and uh, it, it's just going to be nastier from here. When Hurricane Katrina came through, how many of y'all heard all the storms are going to be far worse from now on? It's just the, and Hurricane Katrina was only a Cat 3. That was it. The only reason Hurricane Katrina was the problem that it was, and it wasn't a problem until it actually went through, wasn't the big problem was because the people, the good people in Louisiana had leaders, had elected leaders that took the money that Congress had given them to build up the flood system and instead of using it on the flood system, they used it on other things. They didn't use it for the flood system. So the flood system failed under that because no one had kept it under, kept it repaired, kept it up. Because that is a city, Saint, um, what is it? New Orleans is a city that sits below sea level. So if a lot of water comes in, there's no place for it to drain out. Until you have power and you can drain it out, it's staying in there. So that's why they had the dikes and the walls and all the things to keep the water out. But they didn't do that. So a Cat 3 hurricane came through, made a direct strike, which people had said for years that if a hurricane ever makes a direct strike on New Orleans, they are in trouble. It doesn't matter what size it is. So that one came on through, but they were all saying from this point on, it's all going to be worse. It was 12 years until another hurricane, Cat 3, 4, or 5, hit the United States. 12 years. 12 years before another one hit the United States anywhere. Florida, Texas, you name it. That's a long time. Last year, in 2016, it was either Times, the, uh, uh, Time Magazine or the New York Times, I forget which one it was, published an article that snow was going to be a thing of the past. I hope we still get snow, don't we? In some places, get a lot of it. You can look that up and find the article yourself if you want to. Hurricane Harvey just hit Texas. Hit Texas as a... Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish this. Hurricane Irma. It hit Florida the first time as a Cat 4, not as a Cat 5. And the second landfall was a Cat 3 because it weakened. By the time it got to the United States, of course, it had um, lost a lot of its, its power... Cuba took out a lot of it because it doesn't uh, do that well over, over land. Hurricane Harvey, 
when it made, uh, no, at, at its peak, this is not when it, uh, I think will actually probably hit near its peak, but it was 130 miles per hour, 938 millibars, which would put it in the top 10 list of the hurricanes that hit Florida. But the reason that it was bad was not because it was such a bad hurricane. It was because there were two high-pressure systems that made that thing park itself right over top of that, and it didn't move. So they got 40, 45, 50, 55 inches of rain. And apparently, the way it's set up down there, all water drains into Houston. <laughs> all, all, all drains into Houston, and so Houston got it. But that's why it was had nothing to do with, with all that. Because if you look at the, the number one hurricane for Florida, 1935. How many cars were being driven around 1935? Or was it 1920s that cars were, were brought up out in, the, in a big, big way where they had to... But still, most people didn't have one. 1935. 892 millibars. What caused that? How about all the other ones that happened before then? 1988. There was one of these on the list. 19, or 1888. The Fort Lauderdale hurricane. There's no cars going on there. But see, they don't want to, to bring all those kind of things out. So, when we look at the, the storm thing, if you had a chance to read the article from uh, Brother Tony, but if we, we look at some of the storms that are in the Word of God, the, the storm that Paul dealt with, the reason that he dealt with that storm, and he even said we shouldn't go out because this is the season for storms. There's a season for hurricanes. There's a season for storms over in the Mediterranean Sea. They know when it is. It starts around here, ends around here. So most times they don't go out into the waters then, but they were in a hurry. They wanted to go. So if you're going to go out during the storm season, what are you going to hit? You're going to hit storms. So that storm was just a natural occurrence of natural phenomena that causes the storms. When Jesus said, let us go to the other side, it wasn't during the storm season. Now storms could come up, but this was a particular violent one. And it seemed like this storm had some spiritual significance to it to try and keep Jesus from getting where he was going and doing what he was going to do with the man in the tombs. Because as soon as he came out, that's what, uh, that's what greeted him and that's what he, he dealt with. And so he got up on that one and said, peace be still. We, got, we spoke to this one. He spoke to the winds because it was the winds that stirred this thing up. And so he had dealt with that. But Paul never did. Brother Tony had a good article on, on that. If you didn't get a chance to read that, head on up there and, and check that out. But the earth is, is, is having a problem. Now, the earth does not have hurricanes because man drives cars or has factories or burns coal or anything like, anything like that. I had a uh, discussion with somebody today, uh, this, not this week, last week, something like that, and we somehow got onto the hurricanes. And I said, the way God made the earth, hurricanes weren't possible. And I kind of took her uh, by surprise. What do, you, what do you mean they aren't possible? So we, we explained it. And I don't know if you, you probably all know that. But the way the firmament was around the earth when God made it in the book of Genesis and there was a water that was a firmament around the earth, it kept the temperature at the northern part basically the same as what was at the equator. I'm not saying it was identical, but it was all in the same range of time, which is why, you know, scientists say they found the woolly mammoths with the food in their mouth. Because when the flood came, that, that firmament was gone. When that firmament was gone, then the North Pole became what we know as the North Pole and cold. 
And so it went from being tropically warm to freezing cold because that water was gone. It was taken down. Now you have hot air around the equator and cold air at the poles. And hurricanes, and you can look this up yourself if you want to, but hurricanes, one of the purposes of hurricanes is to redistribute the heat. It takes the heat from the center and moves it on out. If you don't have the heat, you don't have the hurricanes. The way God made the earth, it was not possible for there to be hurricanes. But sin came in and the firmament that God put in, even when when Adam and Eve sinned, the firmament was still in there. But when he judged the earth with the flood, that firmament was gone. And the lifespan of people dropped down and storms would begin to come up. Because up until then, you didn't need storms to have water. The earth watered itself. It just was a, a big greenhouse, basically. And, and then that was gone. So the way God's going to make it again, I'm sure it's going to be in such a way that there won't be any, any storms, anything like that going, up, going on. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 21, just want to read this one for you. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there were no more seas. There was no more sea. All the, no more sea. All, it's all land now. Now, if you've been here for the end times, I think most of you folks have been here for the end times class, sea represents disorder, land represents order. Back in the book of Genesis, the earth was considered to be void and, and without order, and sea was all over the earth. When order was, was established is when land began to separate the seas. But here in the new heaven and new earth, seas are gone. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with it as far as the order that is, that is concerned. Perhaps we're not going to have the firmament. Perhaps the way to not have storms anymore is to do away with the oceans. But he said everything is going to be watered from this uh, one river that comes out from Jerusalem, from the New Jerusalem. So let's go on to verse 14. Let's go pick up uh, verse 13 again. Follow 13 for us. Let's read it all together. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Speaking about the angels, go to 14. Are they not all, what, angels? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? They are sent to minister those who inherit salvation. Now, I pulled up some things about angels just from the uh, Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 14, So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and put it on her shoulder, Hagar's. He gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bowshot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. So she's been wandering around here and hasn't been able to find any water to refill her container. Probably started rationing the container, getting thirsty, but trying to make it last. And finally, it just didn't last anymore. It was gone. And she has no place to get the water. She can't find any water. Hasn't been able to find any water. Because I'm sure when she's wandering around there, she's looking for people. She's looking for water. She's looking for something. And she doesn't find it. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. 
Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So the angel of God called the Hagar out of heaven. The angel was sent to minister to her and to, to help her before the angel of the Lord was sent to her the first time that she wandered out into the wilderness and sent her on back. But here we just have the angel of God, it says, uh, called to her and then opened up her, look over here. And she'd been looking over for water and well, here it is. So either he just made it, dug it for her, or whatever it might be, but here was the, here was the well. And so she was able to get a drink. Genesis 24, 7, The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying to your descendants, I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Now some people read this as such, that if you are looking for a spouse, a husband or a wife, an angel can go out and help you. Well, it may be. It certainly seems to be the case here where the angel went out and, and uh, did some help. Matthew 4, verse 11. Then the devil left him. That was after the time of temptation. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Angels came and ministered to Jesus. First Kings 19, verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he, this is speaking of Elijah. Then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. So an angel touched him. An angel came over and said, Hey, get up. Got some stuff for you. Angel came and ministered to him. This is an angel coming and ministering to, to Elijah. The angels ministered around the birth of Jesus with Mary. Angels appeared to Mary. Uh, angel appeared to, in a dream to Joseph. Angels appeared to the shepherd. We saw the angels that were involved with the birth of John the Baptist. Angels were involved in many of these things to minister to us. Now I'll go back over to verse 14 again. Hebrews 1, 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? So again, going back to all the things of, of chapter 1, Jesus Christ was the creator of all things as deity. But as humanity, he became heir of all things. He was made to be heir. So he became heir of those things he created. Angels were one of those things. And then we became joint heirs with him. So as we become joint heirs with him, then we also become heirs of what he made. One of those things being angels. So he said, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Only to the heirs are they ministering spirits. So if we are heirs of salvation, then we, they are ministering spirits for us. Amen. A couple more scriptures I wanted to read for you. First Kings 20 and verse 11. So the king of Israel answered and said, Tell him, this is uh, King Ahab, I believe, Let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. I love that verse, even though it was by not a very good king. That's one of my favorite verses for uh, people who like to taunt you during a sporting event. Lamar and I would have some fun with this. He would come up and he would start talking because they wouldn't let us play on the same side of hockey. We each had to be on the other side and no one else liked to take face-offs. So most of the time in the face-off circle, Lamar's on one side, I'm on the other. And so he'd come in and boast and he would talk about how he's going to beat me and get the puck and all this sort of stuff. And so i quote this verse to him. <laughs> <laughs> and we, just have, we would have fun with, with it that way. 
Let not the one who puts on his armor boast like the one who takes it off. If you are going into battle, don't boast like one who is coming out of it. If we, have, if we are still in the battle, we are not to boast like one who's already been over it. Just because we have enemies of Jesus Christ that are around and Jesus Christ is called the victor, it does not mean that all those enemies are put under his feet. Yet, all of them will be. But not all of them are yet. What we can see is that the devil is still out there. And he still wants to find whom he may devour. What we see is that there's still fallen angels. What we see is that there's still demon spirits. What we see is there's still rebellious people. And the earth is still groaning, waiting for that day. One more verse of scripture for you. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. When he delivers the kingdom, he puts an end to all rule, outside of his own, of course, and all authority and power. For he must reign till he puts all enemies under his feet. When does he reign? The millennial kingdom. He must reign till he puts all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him, under him, it is evident that he who puts all things under him is accepted. So God the Father is putting all things under his feet, but the last enemy, the last enemy to be defeated is death. We looked over the scriptures to talk about the, the destruction of the rebellious people. We saw about putting the devil away when he is, he's finally done. After all that is done, then death will be done away with. But until then, death is still here. In fact, God made, God made sure in the garden, he says we need to kick them out of the garden because if we don't, they will eat of the tree of life and what? Live forever. And if they live forever, there was no way to redeem them. So death will remain until redemption is no longer needed. And then death will be done away with. But the enemies are not all just gone. We can't just go around and say, well, I just confess these enemies, they're, they're gone. They're not, not here. We haven't taken our armor off yet. Paul even says in the epistles, put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because we got a battle. We got to fight. The enemies are not under his feet yet. But they sure will be. Amen. It doesn't mean that we don't secure victory through the name of Jesus. It just means they're not done yet. The enemies are still out there. The rebellious people, the fallen angels, the demon spirits, Satan, and even some of the things that go on in this world. They are still there. We don't fight them as if they don't exist. We fight them with the authority and power that is behind the name of Jesus. Because that name is superior to all names. Father, we thank you for the victory that we know we have in your word. We thank you that all enemies come to a place to be put under the feet of Jesus.
And until that day comes, the victory is still ours, but we do have to fight. I thank you, Father, that you have equipped us and made us ready for the fight. And we are able to secure the win through the name of Jesus and the things that he has equipped us with. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Comments? Questions? Anything to add? Oh, yes. Yeah, thank you. See, that's why sometimes I throw them out to you. Uh, the people that are standing by, very, very possibly, they're angels. Very possibly, they're angels. And the angels are the ones who, who uh, come in and do that. Now, there's a point in there, too, where some people come in to make some judgments. We are called in to make some judgments. Angels are not the ones that judge. In fact, we're going to get into the next part here. And when the kingdom, kingdom comes, the angels are not the ones who reign. We are. We're the ones who reign. They're just the helpers. That's why it seems those guys that are standing on the sidelines, hey, bring them over here. Do the, the prob- in my mind, anyway, they're probably angels. But he doesn't really spend a whole lot of time on it, but he certainly does mention that they are there. Thanks for asking that. I just went out of my head.